0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Den. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. I've titled today's message because the Lord's just been rolling this over in my mind, in my heart. Four must knows of marriage. Four must knows of marriage. We just finished our first semester at our church of re engage class. That was pathetic, but it's all right. Joe and Misty Bowen led this class. I I, I just want to give them high fives right now. Thank you, guys. Shout out to them because every Friday night, Joe and Misty led a group of couples in our church through the reengage class that explained exactly what the name was—to reengage, to reengage marriages, to grow marriages, to strengthen marriages, to to put some old things under uh, to death, and so that you can grow and become new. And as I as I celebrate that, I, I'm also constantly and keenly aware. Uh, of the fact that the relationships that we have are directly proportional, that our relationship with God is directly proportional to the relationships that we have with each other. And it is very, very clear and clearly recognized, especially in the marriage. And so what I want to do is for the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking just a little bit about relationships because I can tell you this. If you came to church today and your relationship with your spouse or your relationship with your considerable or uh, your, your special other person, if you came today and there was conflict or there was, there was gap or there was distance between you, it was harder for you to worship than someone who was not in that situation. It will be harder for you to listen today because what you have got in your mind is the priority of that relationship. And that's all that you can see. And that happens and that's a natural concept because that's what we do. We're wired that way because that is the closest relationship to us. And so what I want to do is I want to work through some things over the next few weeks about our relationships not only with God, but our relationships with one another. I've been talking about our relationship since January, about how we can could keep that constant relationship with the Lord going and brought to you some really um, insightful things I hope that you have taken to, to heart. But I want to look in Ephesians chapter 5, this, this most lengthy, most famous, longest, clearest portion of what God recognizes as marriage and I want us to look at that today. Beginning in verse 21, it's probably just the verse previous to that section that you find in Ephesians chapter 5 in your own Bible. But verse 21 says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a great verse, but all the guys in the room are ready for verse 22. We're like, okay, Pastor, read the next one. That's great. Read verse 22. Wives, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, the New Living Translation really makes that connection clear because it shows that the connection to 22 relates to the previous verse, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in every everything. For husbands, this means loving your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he gave his life up for her, To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. In a few weeks, I'm going to talk about that whole concept of the cleansing and the washing that takes place within a marriage relationship, within a husband and wife relationship. He He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And in the same way, here we go, wives... Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Can I tell you how much your husband loves your body, their bodies? Just look at the belly above their belt. They love to feed their body, they love it. The Chinese restaurants love it. Texas Roadhouse because we love to go in there and feed ourselves. We love to feed our bodies. Can I get an amen, guys? Ladies, that's how much he needs to love you. As eager as he is to go get a big steak, feed his body, love his body. (laughs) No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of His body. And as the Scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. I'm going to read that again in a different version, but for most translations it says, And for this reason a man will leave his mother and father. Verse 32, This is a great mystery. But it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Father, I pray that you would take your word today and that you would make it alive to us. Lord, help us to take what we have read, Lord, written so long ago and make it so present and applicable to our life. Lord, let us apply this word to us. Lord, so that today, Lord, we are we are changed, Lord, by your word and your spirit, Lord, begins to rewire and rework our own relationships. I pray, Lord, your anointing upon it today in Jesus' name. The first time I preached a message on marriage, I was a young minister, and Shannon and I had only been married for about three years. I was the man of faith and wisdom. Can I just tell you, I didn't know anything. If you've been married for less than five years, just accept the fact that you are ignorant and you don't know anything yet. The only thing that you have learned is how to do honeymoon well, but honeymoon comes to an end at some point. And I began to teach that that thing like I like I had been married for 40 years. And 30 years later, I've grown to realize how much more to appreciate Ephesians chapter 5 after living with my wife for close to 30 years. I know it's hard to believe that she's that old. She keeps me young. But to understand God's Word in the context of being able to practice His Word is an incredible thing. And some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, why would you preach this message today? because I'm single, I'm not married, this does not apply to me. And we all want the scripture to apply to us immediately. But I can just say that if you go out on Monday and you try to get married, that may be a little bit too rash, all right? Don't try to apply this immediately. But here's what I can tell you this. You can apply this to change the thinking about your future if you do intend to become married or if there is someone who is significant in your life, or if you're praying that God would send that person to your life, it's important to know how God thinks about what, what you're looking for rather than what you think. Because what you do is, is many times what we will do is we'll read the Bible like we used to read newspapers. Now, nobody reads newspapers today. Does anybody still read newspapers? I don't, I don't know very few. A few of you do. I used to read the newspaper and I'd go to my dad who would have it and I'd say, Hey, dad, give me the sports section and the comics, right? Because those are the only two things that were relevant to me. I didn't care what was on the front page. I certainly didn't want to read the business section or the cheesy lifestyle pages. I wanted the sports pages and the comics. That's what was relevant to me because that's what I believe that I needed in my life to inform me. Here's the way that we need to read the scriptures. We do that a lot when we read the Bible say, I just want what's relevant to me, what I am going through now. And that makes an assumption that you know what is relevant for your life. The assumption is, is that you know what is in front of you, that you know what your future is going to be, that you know what kind of grace you're going to need, and you're going to need to exhibit mercy, and you need to know how to, how to express love. That means that you believe that you know more than the wisdom of God. What we need to do is we need to allow the wisdom of God to address our life rather than letting our own human wisdom address our life. And so if you're not married today, don't just, you know, start drawing happy faces on the back of the offering envelopes, okay? Don't get distracted with your phone because this is relevant to you. If If you're married today, this is absolutely relevant. Because here's what happens in our own culture. Marriage is something that a lot of people do, but, but more people misunderstand. We really don't get it. Like, like when I first preached this message series on marriage and I didn't get it. It took me years to, to learn how to make all of this stuff applicable to, to my own life. And some of you may be in a marriage right now, and right where you are sitting there today, you have feelings of of resentment, and you have feelings of fear, and you have feelings of, 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 of unhealthy desires, and you may be at an impasse with your own wife or your own husband today. And this could be be transformative in in your own home and in your own marriage because you learn to understand what God wants and you can apply the Scripture and on Monday, you can be thinking about your future through the lens of Scripture rather than your future through your past experiences or your current experiences. And I'll take that a step further because there are some of you in this room who have been divorced. And can I just say that If people who are married have misunderstandings, people who are divorced can even have a significantly more misunderstanding of what marriage could be because of some of the hurts and the things that have gone on in their past. And so you find yourself uh, looking at your future through the lens of of your memories of what marriage was rather than through the lens of what God says can be in your life. I know the reality that some of you who have gone through divorce and you've gone through separation like that, the reality is is that you can be more alone in a marriage than someone who has never been married and is alone. And so there's a real, there is a real uh, challenge for you because you have to overcome some things in order to accept what, what, the, what the Scripture says. Oh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved them. Submit to your husband. You don't know the dog that I was married to. Right? Shannon and I got married when we were really young. She was 19 years old. I stole this girl. I wasn't too much older. I was a few years older. And when you get married that young kids, people ask me today, it's like, Pastor, how did you get married so young? I mean, how are you even able to make it? I said, well, there's one thing that you need to know of how to do that. It's called have a job. (laughs) How are you able to make it? Get a job. I mean, it works. We somehow made it. Somehow, you know, when we were young and early on, we got a job. I mean, and and here's the deal. You can't know what it's really like to be married unless you've received mom and dad's hand-me-down mattress and bedroom set. You know? That was us. Everything we had in our house came from a garage sale when we first got married. Everything. 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 Our couch we picked up at a garage sale and whoever had owned the couch beforehand was a chain smoker. They lived on that couch. You could lay down on that couch and you could you you felt the nicotine just seeping into your body. It was it was smoke-filled. We had a refrigerator that we that we got and it was canary yellow. And this wasn't the seventies when that was in and cool. We got a canary yellow refrigerator. And so Shannon's like, that does not match my, my kitchen. I was like, okay, what do you want to do? I spray painted that dog white. She comes home. The bad part is, yeah, it looked good for a while, but the bad part is what started happening is the more you would open it up and get it started kind of little making little flecks. And so we ended up with a polka-dotted yellow and white refrigerator. <laughs> but there was a lot of love in our home and we we absolutely loved each other even though we were clueless, we didn't know what to do. But what I've discovered over the years is there are four must-knows about marriage. If you're taking notes, we're going to jump into the first one because I'm going to spend more time on it than I probably will the last three because I know what time it is, and we're going to take the Lord's table at the end together. What you need to understand is that marriage wasn't something that was invented by a bunch of cavemen in the Bronze Age sitting around thinking, hey, you know what would be a good idea? Let's have a thing called marriage. Marriage. Marriage is an institution of God. There are three things that God divinely created. One was marriage, two was the was the church, and three was the state. God instituted those things. And if you'll notice in scripture he talks about each one of those things. Why? Because he created them all. But what he doesn't talk about, there are things that he doesn't talk about, and people try to read those things. You know, he doesn't talk about like education or school. He doesn't talk about political parties. He doesn't talk about those things. You can see, you can see how we're supposed to respond. But he didn't create those. He created the state, church, and, and the home, the marriage. And so God addresses those things. And the real implication to us is this, is that when you enter into marriage, what you do is you fall underneath the authority of God, whether you recognize it or not. Why? Because he owns it. And that's why when you don't don't know what to do in marriage, it's because you're not looking to the one who created it. And who started it. You have to go to Him because He's the one who created it. If you want to find out how to put together your daughter's uh, stuff on Christmas, those little houses and the cars and all the things that your kids get, you have to read the instructions. And that comes from the person who created it. So you go to marriage and you find His Word because this is what's going to tell you what to do inside a marriage because God created it. But if you look back in in Ephesians chapter 5, you get to verse 21, which is the one that we were talking about. And he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if you look further back in Ephesians chapter 5, what you're going to see is it's in the context previously. All that Paul has been talking about is how to be filled with the Spirit and what characteristics a Spirit-filled life has. He says, a Spirit-filled life, you should live as children of light. You should be an imitator of God. You should be filled with the Spirit. Like a drunk is filled with alcohol, you should be filled with the Spirit. So enamored by Him that that's all that you can think of. It's all you can do. And the last one of those characteristics that you find is verse 21. A person filled with the Spirit will submit to one another, will submit to others out of reverence for Christ. That's what it, a part of being filled with the Spirit is not the gifts, and the fruit, one of the fruits is that you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he clearly moves from that whole idea into the various phases of the examples he uses between a husband and wife, a parent and a child, and an employer and an employee. And so he moves directly in Ephesians chapter 5 into those relationships because these are the types of relationships whose outworkings fulfill the principle that we should submit to one another because of the reverence that we should have for Christ. So Paul does this. He he assumes in Ephesians chapter 5 that if if order if you are going to have a marriage that succeeds, it begins with submission and deference. There is a precondition to having a successful marriage. It's being guided by the Spirit and putting the needs of others, of your spouse, in front of your own needs. And I'll just tell you, the ability to submit to another person requires the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because it's not natural. It's not innate in us. We do not want to submit to anyone. That is not a natural thing for a man or a woman to do, is to naturally submit to another person. It is not instinctive. Now, that doesn't mean that a non-Christian can't have a good marriage. But let me explain to you. God is mercifully being gracious to them, and they don't even know it. That's how that works. Because you cannot instinctively submit to someone without the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And it will not last very long because the Holy Spirit has to be working in your life. When you gave your heart to Jesus, the Spirit of God came into you and he began to transform you and work you and remake you and rebuild you. And as you go through that discipleship process, he begins to form you in a way that not only changes your vertical relationship with God, but it changes your horizontal relationship with everyone else around you. First of all, with the closest relationship that you have, and that happens to be marriage. This word submit is the Greek word hupotazo. It means to rank under. It's a military term. It's a military term. How many of you served in the military? When you were in the military, you know what you did? You ranked under Uncle Sam. And what does that mean? That means that you submitted to Uncle Sam. You deferred. That means that you did not any longer control your own calendar. You didn't control your holidays. You didn't even control what you got to wear. What you got to eat. They chose for you. You submitted, you hupotazo, you ranked underneath them. You submitted to them. Why did you do that? Because you wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than you. That could accomplish more than one person. Army's great, but if we only had one soldier in the United States Army, that would be really, really scary. We need hundreds of thousands. We need tens of thousands of men and women serving so that they can defend our country and, 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 can, and, and can protect us because they're a part of something bigger. In order to be a part of something bigger than you are, you have to learn to submit. It's the same way in a marriage. In any good relationship, you have to submit to that other person if you want it to be bigger than you. If you don't want anything in your life to ever be bigger than you, live alone. And stay that way. Don't come to church and and try to find relationships or or friendships. Don't, Don't get married. Just live alone. And life will be as small as you are. But God calls us to something greater. And that's a part of what being submissive is. Paul says, look, this ability to not choose you first and to live for the good of the whole, to defer is not instinctive. This is what I want you to realize because this is one of the most important must-haves and must-knows in marriage. Here's the first blank. The problem of any marriage that you must know, the problem of any marriage, always, always, always is self-centeredness. Every problem of any marriage is always self-centeredness. Everything takes its root out of that. Whether it is financial, intimate, it doesn't matter. It all takes its root from self-centeredness. And Paul says, look, I understand that this is not a natural thing to submit and to defer. You see, our first reaction Our first reaction when Paul says to submit to one another is to make make excuses. We want to be the exception. We always like to do that. We want to be the exception because we think that all the rules apply to everybody else but not me. And what we'll do when we say submit to one another, we'll say, oh, but... Lord, I'm the exception here. You don't know. And they, we sing the song. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody's lived with that crazy woman. <laughs> Counseling's coming for you, buddy. We want to make ourselves the exception. God, you don't know, though. You have no idea, this knucklehead that I live with. You don't don't know what it's like. And here's what can happen. Selfishness can quickly turn into self-pity. It's the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. Feeling sorry for yourself is the same as selfishness. Self-pity and selfishness are the same thing when you begin to look at it because you have to understand everybody in this room right now, you've got baggage. Everybody. You've got baggage. Some weighs more than others. I understand that. Shannon took her trip this week. She started off with two large suitcases. Two. Two. Or maybe it was three. You narrowed it down to two. Okay, two. We all have have baggage. And it's what we keep, what we take, what we what we believe we can't live without. And we, we hold on to it. Everybody's got baggage. Recently I saw I saw this documentary of this this girl who was I don't know if it's Chicago or where it was it's Philadelphia, and she was kidnapped and taken like down the street and was locked into this house for, for like a decade. I don't know if y'all have seen that. She was, she was kidnapped. And there were more, more young women who were caught and done the same thing. It was like two or three women living in this house. This guy was this, this freak. They chained them up. He chained them up in the, like the uh, basement of the home. And as we watched that documentary, watched that, I thought to myself, I thought, God, the trauma that these women have truly been through how are, are they going to ever have any type of meaningful relationship after this being abused for decades for this for, how are they how are they going to get over it we look there are there is significant trauma somebody some people have more trauma than others people have significant wounds i don't i don't try to dismiss that and the scripture doesn't dismiss that But what can happen is we can take our own wounds and then we can turn them into become something that's very self-centered because here's what can happen. When you begin to look at your own wounds and your own heartaches and your own heartbreaks and your own offenses in your life, especially in the context of marriage, you become engrossed in being offended. Everything that has happened to you, everything that you can think of, and and that's the only thing that you can think of, and you become very Selfish. Because you don't look at the other person or you look at the other person as they're the ones who are being selfish. You're the one who has been being the victim. And you can become very selfish. And say, well, what do you do with, with folks like that? Well, here's the popular remedy the popular remedy that counselors and and modern psychology would say, was they would say, look, th- this person has become self centered because of the trauma that they've experienced. But that is biblical. They would say, oh, well, the, the experience they had in this marriage, or the experience that their husband had to them, or their their, their wife, whatever happened, because of that trauma that they've had, they, they, that person became self centered because of all those things. So what do you do? The, Modern psychology says, well, don't challenge them, help them to to redevelop a self-esteem, take away all their pressures, just let them be good to themselves, self-care, just let them care for themselves. But this assumes that self-centeredness is not natural, that it is comes, it comes because someone was hurt and that is just not biblical because what does the Bible say? The Christian approach is this, is that your mistreatment and all of the things that you have done that have been offended by you exacerbated your own self-centeredness. It made it worse. It made it more visible. And you have to deal with those folks gently because there are true wounds, there are true hurts and offenses. But what it's done is it It exaggerated their own self-centeredness. When we first get married, you look at that person, you think, man, they are just perfect. I know that's what my wife thought of me. I know it. I just know it. But she soon, very soon, realized that was a false assumption. Honeymoon ended, and she realized this guy, this joker that I married, he's not perfect. He's, he's actually self-centered. He's selfish. He wants his way. He wants his desires. He wants what he what he feels like is coming to him. And at the same time, when you begin to see the selfishness in your spouse or in someone that you you love, they begin to tell you about your own self centeredness. And reports start going back and forth. What we like to do is we like to read someone else's report, but we don't like to read our own. Says here about you, just tell you what you are. And then you get hand delivered your report. Oh, well, that's not relevant. Because naturally, we are self centered. And we don't see our own selfishness, our self-centeredness nearly as bad as we see it in the other people around us. And so what we do is we both begin to see each other's selfishness. And we get those reports, but we assume that the other person's self-centeredness is much greater than my own. And this is where conflict begins. You start having conflict and fight in your marriage because self-centeredness is the always the first issue that has to be dealt with. Why? Because Paul starts this off and he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Defer. Deal with your own selfishness. Deal with your own self-centeredness. Deal with that because out of that you can grow a healthy marriage. You can either operate in your marriage out of your own woundedness and your offenses. Because when you do that, you're fundamentally saying my problems are bigger than my selfishness. When you do that, you'll never be able to satisfy the fullness of what marriage is really about because you will never recognize your own fault. You'll only see yourself as a victim. And I'm speaking now, to, I know some of you, you've, you're dealing with things in your own home. You're dealing with things in, with, your, with your spouse. And what we have to recognize is that our self-centeredness is the core. It is the number one, the numero uno problem of all marriages. And I can just take it a step further, of all relationships. Paul's idea... Spirit-generated selflessness is what's needed in a marriage. Because in Christ, you look that your needs are met through Him. Not that your spouse has to meet your needs. Christ meets your needs. Christ is the one who's pouring into your life. You must guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It is not your spouse's responsibility to guard your heart. It is not your spouse's responsibility to produce the water that's coming out of your own heart. That's not your job. That's That's not their job for you. It is your job. You must guard your heart. You must protect yourself from becoming selfish. You must protect yourself from becoming offended. You must protect yourself from becoming vengeful. You must protect yourself from becoming angry and bitter. So the first must-know that you've got to understand about marriage is that self-centeredness is the problem. Selfishness, getting what I want. I'm going to move real quickly through the last three. Genesis chapter 2. In, in, in Ephesians 5:31, Paul says, "For this reason, man will leave his father and mother." In Genesis chapter two, he says he answers all of those questions. Genesis chapter two verse 24 says this, "Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." From this verse, we'll get the last three. The second thing that must know that you've got to understand is that the essence of every marriage is a promise. The essence of every marriage is a promise. It's He says, you will leave your father and mother and you will hold fast to his wife. Or different translations, leave and cleave. You will cleave to your wife. The word cleave in the Hebrew means to take a vow. It means to make a promise. I watched a TV show recently. I was just kind of passing through, went through the room and I heard this this guy, you know, and, and and this this lady they were, you know, they were dating or whatever, and he says, he said, Why don't we get married? And she says this, she says, Why do we need to get married? I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I love you. And I thought in my mind, I was like, how ignorant she was because she has no idea what marriage is really all about. The, the, the essence of marriage is a promise. It's not a feeling. Feelings are not the essence of marriage. A dog can love you, but I'm not going to go get married to my dog. Having a family is not the essence of marriage. Mice and rats and rabbits do that pretty well. But I don't see any marriage certificates for them. Sex is not the essence of marriage. Because if sex and family and and, love, or, and feeling was the essence of marriage, it makes marriage a temporal thing. And that's why we so many, see so many failures in marriage is because marriage is something that can just come and go. The way I feel, the, way I, the mood that I'm in, it can come and go. Sex can come and go. Marriage comes and go. It's all the same. And so it can shift back and forth and it doesn't last. But the essence of marriage is a promise. It's not just a piece of paper. When you get married and you say your vows, they don't describe how you feel in that moment. You're standing there before the minister, and I've, I've sit, and, and I'm real leery about whoever who, you know. They say, "Pastor, we want to write our own vows." It's like, okay, I need to know them first because when i'm standing there doing the ceremony and these two this couple standing there i just love you i cherish you you are my everything you're so beautiful i adore you that's not a vow a marriage vow says i'm going to love you for the rest of my life I'm going to cherish you when things are bad. I'm going to stick with you for better or worse, richer or poor, fatter or skinnier. I just felt the anointing from some of you right now. Hey, come on. Hey, man, start preaching now. You, I am going to make an appointment with myself that 50 years from today I'm going to celebrate my 50 year anniversary with you that's what you do in a marriage I'm making a promise in the future of what I have committed to this is what I'm going to be until we die that's what a vow is and that's the essence of marriage it's a promise Number th- the purpose of marriage is really companionship now we don't We don't begin there. What we do is we walk into the room. We start checking everybody out. Because you got your wing man. And those, those two guys, they walk in the room. Ladies are in the room. I'll be right back. You're making a choice. You're deciding right then. Too tall, too short. Too broad, too narrow. Wrong color hair. Right color hair. Not my type. You make those. These are natural things that you do. These are natural things. God created those things in you. And don't despise them. They're okay. That attraction God built in you. Thank God He didn't make you attracted to trees. There's a tall one. Yeah. Well, that one's thorny. I like mine a little prickly. <laughs> he created you with these desires in your life. And what you do is you're not walking in the room saying, man, I, look, I, I need a companion. No. Fella, man, she's hot. Now let me go see if she's got any brains. The purpose of marriage, though, is about companionship. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 31, he says, For this reason man will leave his father and mother and be united with his flesh. What reason is he talking about? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or be or cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When you look at the whole story of Adam, everything Adam did up until the, to a certain point was good. Adam, your name and all these animals, it's good. The, the garden around him, everything is good. It's a benediction in Adam's life. Everything that he does is good. Guys, wouldn't that be great that everything you do, everything you touch, everything you say is all good. God even agreed with The name Hippopotamus. Hippopotamus. Okay, Adam, good call. I like it. Until one day, the Bible says that he could find no, there was no companion to be found for him. That's what the scripture says. There was no companion, there was lack of companionship. And what happened? The benediction turned to malediction, it wasn't good anymore. This is bad. And that's what God says. He says, this is not good. It's the first time the Lord says that something is not good. The first time that God ever says, that's not good. Here's what I want you to see in this. Did God make a mistake? No, 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 no. God intentionally created a flaw in you. And that flaw was the need for companionship. That's why you're attracted to that person that's sitting next to you. That need for companionship, that desire that you want, and that is the purpose of marriage. The essence of marriage is found in the exchange of the promise, but the purpose of marriage is found in the finding your best friend of life. It's so important to understand this and I'll just I'm going to move on to the last point so we can wrap up and have the Lord's table. So those of you who are going to serve get ready. The purpose of marriage is to have someone who gets you. They get you. right? They, you know, you've seen the commercials Jesus gets us, Whatever side of the fence you stand on, The whole idea of marriage is that that person gets me. And when they get me, they don't laugh or walk out the room because they know me. That's the kind of person that you want. That companion who knows your worst. They know Your worst days. They have seen you on your worst days. They have been there when you embarrassed yourself. And they're still with you. That's a companion. That's a companion. When you can do stupid and they stand right by you and just shake their head. Because the purpose of marriage is companionship. I'm going to stick here. Because I know you. And that I fell in love with you. I love you because of this. Even though it's painful to watch. I love you. And for this reason, man will leave his father and mother. For this reason, companionship. It's not good for man to be alone, God said. Let me close this tonight. out. I'm going to take a whole lot of time. I know it's 12 o'clock. Marriage should be the priority over all relationships outside of Christ. If you're married, this is the ultimate priority in your life. The greatest gift you can give your children is a great marriage. It's not bicycles and cars and college tuition. The greatest gift you can give your kids is a loving home to grow up in. Because I do know this, and I've seen it played out in many, many couples. If everything around you is weak, which means you're struggling in everything around you career, finances, on the job but your marriage is strong, you can make it. But the opposite's also true. Everything around you can be going great and good and strong, and the career and the and the jobs and the and the cars and the houses, and your marriage can be weak, and your likelihood of failure is very high. Because you have to recognize that the greatest priority the Lord places in our life is that person that is the most dear and near to you. The marriage is is the most important priority in any relationship outside of Christ. That, that is the one that you focus on the most. That is the most important thing to invest in. I, I look at young couples that get married and they, they say, man, I don't know how you do it, Pastor. What do, you, what do you do to make this marriage work? What do you do? I don't get it. And I'm like, well, how much are you investing into this most important relationship in your life? And they're like, I don't know. As they stand there with an $8 Starbucks drink and a brand new iPhone 15 in the other hand, I'm thinking, when's the last time you took her out to dinner? Is that clear? Right? You've got to invest into that relationship. If it's a priority, your time and your treasure will go in that direction. Let me tell you, I've failed in that category before, as all of you probably have too. But it is a priority. It's a must-know. Self-centeredness, promises, companionship, and priorities are important. These are must-knows next few weeks I'm going to talk about some different things about relationships and I'm, I, I, I'm I'm wanting to see this grow because I do believe this and I know this your relationship with God is directly proportional to your horizontal relationships your marriage and other relationships and I'm going to I'm going to show you directly from the Word of God how to grow both of those the vertical and the horizontal Thanks for listening to this message. If you are blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.